eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The Built by Bama online podcast presents Daybreak for Monday, June the 29th, 2020. Travis Ryer, senior analyst for BamaOnline.com with you here on Daybreak three mornings per week. And it's been a while. Wow, did I just invoke stained? end of the podcast it's probably way too early in the morning for some stain but that's what we've got charlie potter that's how we're going to crank this thing up it has been a while since we've had you here on the podcast i know you've been busy been putting out some great content for us there at bamaonline.com charlie how you doing my friend i'm doing good man it's good to good to be back um there hasn't really been just a lot of newsy stuff to talk about so i get it but Anytime you get Nick Saban for the first time in a while, I know you know you get a lot of reaction from that, and, and he spoke this past weekend. So good to have something to write about, um, just from a gathering quote perspective, and you know hear from him, him from hear from Greg Byrne, and a lot of other representatives of the university. So it was it's kind of good to kind of be kind of back to normal from that perspective. I know we still have a while to go, but uh, I always enjoy that. Yeah, you know it's been long enough that I don't even think we've been able to talk some major league baseball cranking it up and maybe even the NBA getting back together. I know those are a couple of things near and dear to your heart with the Atlanta Braves and of course your Orlando <laughs> Magic which are going to have the ultimate hometown advantage coming up here Charlie if if we get a resumption of the NBA season. Yeah, I'm pretty jealous because um you know, my wife and I were supposed to chaperone my, my niece's trip to Disney World um, coming up in, well, no, when was it? I mean, days and, and time are irrelevant for me right now. But yeah, it's like we it were might supposed as well be to like. Have, yeah. We were supposed to have already gone, but to see them, you know, going down there and to see what hotels they're staying at, I think that's really entertaining. I, I loved your tweet about how the Polly's still the goat because I completely agree with that. But um, I saw, I think it was. Uh, on Sunday or maybe Saturday, I don't really remember when the tweet was put out, but they're already uh, rolling in those gigantic beds for those seven footers. So <laughs> <laughs> I'll be interested to, to really follow that down in Orlando and hopefully, you know, basketball and, and baseball, everything will, you know, um, you know, continue on the path it's on and we get to see some some live sports here soon. Yeah, I know. I love pro golf. Don't get me wrong. And I've watched a ton of it since that sport has gotten back into play here in the last few weeks, but, and I'm not a hardcore major league baseball fan. I, I like major league baseball. I'm more of a postseason guy, but if we get that in some semblance, I'll be tuned in. Same for the NBA down in Orlando. I don't know if you heard Buster Olney over the weekend though, the baseball insider for ESPN. He was asked 
um, what chance he gave Major League Baseball of completing its season and its playoffs. He said 0%, Charlie. And even when asked what percent chance would he give the season itself getting underway, he said 5%. Not a lot of optimism from some people close to the sport that we're even going to have a first pitch coming up in, what, three weeks or so? That is disheartening, but um, you see cases spike up all across the country. I know Alabama, Florida, you know, they've been you know, hit hard. We were actually, our anniversary was in the middle of June. We went down to, to Mahatma City, down along the, the 30A, and um, it was just like they were giving stuff away from free. There were so many people out. And uh, I know people, you know, masks are a sensitive subject, but we saw literally thousands of people and we probably saw about five or six with masks on. So yeah. when you see people kind of, you know, herd to places like the beach or you know, other places like that, I don't, I don't think New Orleans is open. But that's another place that comes to mind where you just have a crowd of people like out and about, um, you know, these, these cases are spiking. I'm not saying that's necessarily a direct correlation. I know they're doing more testing and stuff, but uh, it's, it's disheartening. I know, you know we heard from Greg Byrne and I'm sure we'll talk about that here in a little bit. He remains optimistic, but um, you know, you just kind of wish people would be a little more cautious and, and hopefully this thing gets under control and, and maybe Buster's wrong, but I know he does a great job for ESPN and I didn't see that, but, uh, you know, that's, that's not the, the best of news to hear. Yeah. You mentioned it with Greg Byrne, Nick Saban over the weekend as a part of the Alabama athletics summer update radio show that took place on Saturday afternoon. Greg Byrne, in his comments, Charlie, talked about goals for a full regular season, not only for football, but the other fall sports that you have cranking up at Alabama and elsewhere. Volleyball, soccer, I guess cross country, a part of that group as well. Uh, He also said he was very optimistic about having a football season, Charlie. I didn't take that maybe entirely to mean what we're typically used to in terms of the football season, but a football season of some kind. Am I, in your opinion, am I over reading into that maybe a little bit? No, I think they're really weighing all scenarios and different ways they can go about this. I know later on in the the show, Reese Davis was on with Eli and um, of course, Eli asked him about you know his thoughts and what he's hearing from a you know ESPN and College Game Day perspective because I mean let's face it ESPN um, you know gets a lot of money and creates a lot of money for these schools and and Reese was on the same page but he said he didn't know how it's going to look he expects it to look a little different and uh, I think that's the most intriguing thing to me I think everybody uh, especially from a Power Five perspective is going to try to make this thing happen, uh, but it's probably going to be different than we're used to. Um, you know, Maybe it is just a conference-only schedule. Maybe you do push things back a little bit. I mean, who knows? I, I think they're weighing all their options, and that's really good to hear that they're looking at it that way because you know, I, I know everybody wants to have a, schedule, or a season uh, as regularly scheduled as it was and have all 12 regular season games when they're supposed to be and have a full stadium, but – you know, we're in an, an unprecedented time, and to hear that they're weighing all their options to at least play some of the games, um, you know that that makes me feel good because I'm I'm a guy that I I stress out when I can't really picture how something's gonna go, and this whole thing, this 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 off season that's been full of nothing has just been a dark abyss for me. So to have a season to look forward to, um, you know that that's something that's a little comforting, I guess, and to take that away. Uh, I'm not sure how I'd feel about that, but um, 
like I said, I think with all the scenarios that they're weighing, they're going to try to make this thing happen. And hopefully, you know, things take a turn for the better in terms of the, the numbers and the, the cases spiking and things like that. But from just what Greg Burns said, um, you know, he remains optimistic. That's kind of been the MO from everybody at Alabama, whether it's Stuart Bell, um, Nick Saban, they, they've all um, talked about following the guidelines, but right now they're very optimistic that a season will happen in some form or fashion. If Greg Byrne and Power Five athletic directors were told today, look, we'll, we'll, you're, you're guaranteed 10 total football games this fall, would they take that right now, Charlie, do you think, or would that still be considered a disappointment? Guarantee them 10 games total. That's total for the football season. Uh, obviously, how that would factor into the television money and, and revenues and things like that would be a big part of it. But do you think they would they would go ahead and take that today? I think they would. I mean, I think they'd probably want to wait maybe until uh, the first couple weeks of July. Can't and wait, the, Charlie. I, take it today. I think they would take it because it, <laughs> with 10 games, you, you at least get your full conference slate and you get your – uh, for most teams, at least, your big non-conference game for Alabama, that would obviously be USC to start the season. Uh, you, you trim a little fat with the FCS game. Uh, you, you have a couple of other non-conference games against Cupcake teams, and you lose one of them. But I think you you take that. The, the problem with that is you're probably going to lose two home games. And from a revenue standpoint, I know that's not ideal. But um, you know, I know with, with Alabama, they're still right now, the next two seasons at least, going to have those neutral side games, you're going to get a big check for playing in Arlington. So that helps make up for a little bit of that. But uh, I think right now with, with how this whole summer has been and maybe how things are, are trending at the moment, 10 games, I think Greg Byrne and a lot of other ADs would take that. Yeah, you're right about the home game aspect of that. That's where it becomes a difficult blow on the local level. But it certainly beats no football. No. At all. Yeah. I mean, if you're Walt Maddox, mayor of Tuscaloosa, and we've heard Walt make the comments about, you know, billions potentially being lost for a, a, a city like Tuscaloosa and college towns, uh, you, you, you take, I think, uh, even with it trimmed by a couple games, you would you would probably sign off on that. Hopefully, again, like Greg Byrne, it comes off as expected. 12 regular season games, an SEC championship game college football playoff, bowl season, all those things near and dear to our hearts. That's absolutely what everyone is hoping for, no doubt about it. Now, Byrne also specifically in talking about what attendance could look like, um, mentioned season ticket holders in Bryant-Denny Stadium and many more. But I took that as sort of an indication of if it comes down to a priority, obviously season ticket holders are going to be at the top of that list. But uh, it would also mean that we're talking about less than capacity, which at this point, just a couple months out from the, the start of a college football season, I don't think that would surprise anybody either, Charlie. No, I agree. And that was a big thing that I, I took away from that is, you know, he started off talking about how he was optimistic about the season and, and all the fall sports because he is the director of athletics. But clearly football is, is first and foremost from a financial standpoint and just from a, a fan popularity standpoint. But he went on to say how Alabama has been fortunate with the great support from the fan base because they have over 90 percent of season ticket renewals for the year. And uh, yeah, that, that's a little surprising to hear, just given the uncertainty. But I mean, I hearing from Alabama fans, I mean, they're they're hungry for a season. And uh, it, it makes sense that if you were to have 
um, you know, a smaller crowd in Bryant-Denny Stadium that the people that are paying the money for season tickets are going to be the ones that um, you know, are, are adhered to first. Those and the, the ones making up the or taking up the luxury boxes. Um, you know, so it'll be really interesting to see if, if it is uh, limited and, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if that's the case, how it is. I, I'd even be surprised to see how the press box will be limited. It's going to be in a new location. Mm-hmm. And you got to factor in or figure that they're going to have to social distance in that place as well. So uh, it, just how the seating and how it will look, uh, I think I, I saw on the, the message board over at BOL today, uh, somebody even mentioned bands. Like you got to take all this right. into account, the student section, cheerleaders. Um, I, I think just the makeup in general, the, the inside of the stadium will be interesting. But uh, yeah, his comment you know, showed that there is support, but it, you obviously kind of see where um, the favoritism lies in that regard. And I think the season ticket holders hearing him mention that kind of speaks volumes to that. Yeah. So many logistics to uncover. And I know schools and programs are already putting these plans into place, but in terms of what we do, what fans do, uh, travel roster sizes, how teams travel, you got to consider the size of planes, social distancing in relation to your traveling party size, uh, hotels, man, just a never-ending to-do list as we try to get ready for another college football season. Now, from a facility standpoint, Vern did comment both on the Malmore Athletic Facility with the Sports Science Center going in, being a big part of that. Also, Bryant-Denny, uh, as he mentioned, as he worded it, a lot of balls are up in the air at Bryant-Denny Stadium when you talk about the new entrance there for the team in the north end zone. The locker room, the recruiting area, the new club areas, the video boards, all those things. And then with the Moore Athletic Facility, he was very poignant in saying that he expects this to be a facility for the next 10, 15, 20 years to be set up in a way in which it can facilitate student athletes and staff uh, for an extended period of time. I don't know if that's realistic with Nick Saban, though, Charlie, because it seems like every 18 months – there's a new project for Alabama football going into play. Yeah, I mean, the, the Mount Moore facility has, has received a lot of facelifts over the years. This is obviously going to be the biggest one. And uh, that one, to me, is the one I'm looking forward to the most because I spend the most time over there. I mean, that's where Nick Saban press conferences are held. That's where we talk to players. Um, you know, we go over there for practice. And, you know, driving over there, I believe it's probably been a week or so since I've, I've been by and. And I agree with him. I mean, it's it's coming along. It, it looks like it's you know near completion, at least from an outside perspective. I know there's a lot to go on uh, inside as well. But you know, he was talking about how he took a uh, tour the other day and how it's really impressive. And and yeah, just the the way that they're kind of looking ahead with this, not only with the building, but what they're doing with the sports science um, center, with the hires of, of um, David Ballou and, and Matt Ray. It just shows that they're they're really looking forward and forward thinking in this, and um, I'm really interested to see how that one's going to look. And you know, of course, with the stadium, you mentioned it. There's just a ton of balls in the air over there, and uh, I think my biggest takeaway was that he said that a lot of parts of the project are getting close to being completed, and so I wouldn't be surprised to see him kind of go over there with his hard hat and take another tour and, and share some things on Twitter. Uh, I know that the new tunnel, the recruiting room, a lot of those things are of interest for fans and myself as well. And maybe even the press box, we get a look at that. So uh, just to hear that these things are still coming along is is another step in the right direction. And uh, I know they're going to be, you know, hard pressed for that deadline, but it sounds like everything's going uh, as planned at the moment. Yeah, Greg didn't mention the press box specifically, Charlie. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed that. 
<laughs> By the way, if if it does turn out that you know some seats are lost because of the pandemic and uh, you know the situation we're still in, I'll volunteer to stay home and drink cold beer and cover <laughs> the game from the couch, Charlie. I'm on record there. Uh, I don't know what Kirk's stance is on that, but I'll go ahead. I'll offer myself up, Charlie. Don't worry about that if we if we don't have room for all three of us during the 2020 <laughs> season. Um, also heard from Nick Saban on Saturday. You know, we were kind of wondering with the, the, the social unrest that, that our country has certainly been experiencing, um, you know, in the in the wake of the deaths of, of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, what would be coming from Nick Saban in Alabama football? We had already seen uh, shows of support for the Black Lives Movement uh, from Greg Byrne, from Nate Oates, from athletic department officials and staff. Uh, and, you know, with Saban, it's kind of like everything else. If you're expecting the status quo from Nick Saban and his program in reaction to pretty much anything, you're probably going to be wrong. Or if you're expecting him to be right out in front leading the charge in some instances, uh, you're probably going to be disappointed. I would say measured is usually the way Nick Saban goes about his business. And I don't think it's been any different in this particular instance with BLM and the situation that, you know, we've experienced and witnessed on so many different fronts here in the last month or so, Charlie. And I think the football program especially has is, is done a really good job of this. I mean, it started, I, I know Nick Saban put out a, a statement um, a while ago, and um, but they really kind of ramped it up recently, and I think that's really uh, player-driven. Um, you know, we saw the video that they put out, a really powerful video that was written by uh, Alex Leatherwood, and I just thought they did a really good job with that, and the response, I think, was the one thing that, I don't want to say surprised me, but it was, for the most part, overwhelmingly positive. And um, I think it was well received, not only by you know people in the media and former players, but but fans as well. I know there are some that, of course, are not going to like it. You can't please everybody, but I think you know Nick Saban kind of. I, I don't think he took it a step further, but he kind of um, you know added on to that when he was talking with Eli Gold uh, on Saturday and, and talking about how you know this isn't a time to be silent, but it's also not a time to be violent. Um, you. Know, because everyone doesn't look through the same lens that basically you, you know, they've taken this time to listen and to learn. Uh, but they also need to understand because of the situation they're in as athletes, as coaches, as, you know, people that uh, other people look to, you know, they have a platform and that platform can really impact and affect change. And, um, you know, obviously they've had some speakers uh, that have kind of been, um, uh, a part of their meetings and stuff over Zoom calls. I know Condoleezza Rice has been one. Charles Barkley. They've had some guys from ESPN come through, and um, yeah, I thought they've. Or I haven't thought this, but they've thought they brought some interesting um, perspective and insight. Uh, I'd like to see some videos from that, but we've just seen kind of screenshots and things like that. But um, all that to say that I think it's been enlightening in a lot of ways for a lot of people in the program, Nick Saban included. And like I said, a lot of this is, is really team driven and um, you know, they've been um, you know receptive. I think that they want to do other things and, and get involved and help out. And it sounds like they have something in the works. So we'll see what that's going to be. But um, you know, I've seen a lot of just positive reaction and response from the fan base. There's been some, some ugly comments and things like that on some tweets that have been out there, but you, you see people 
um, you know, coming together and, and, and having a voice and sticking up for it. And it's been really refreshing to see. Yeah, I think you hit on it, player-driven. And I think it's more impactful when that is the approach. And for Alex Leatherwood to author the statement that he did that was, of course, co-narrated by teammates and Nick Saban himself, I think that hits home more so than uh, maybe some other ways that, that folks choose to go about getting their message out there. And, um, you know, it, it's a time unlike any I've seen in my life where the power of the player or the student athlete uh, is very much at the forefront right now. And, you know, we can talk about it in ways that's related directly to what they do, whether that's name, image, and likeness coming online here, uh, inevitably, probably in the next year or so, student athletes being able to receive compensation for their name, image, and likeness, or, you know, when it comes to social issues or racism or things like that and you know to let you know that Alex Leatherwood is more than just the starting left tackle for the Alabama Crimson Tide you know this is a guy with with uh you know very much uh uh you know an approach and a mindset on on issues that affect him uh on a daily basis that other folks probably can't relate or even understand or in some instances are just voluntarily ignorant uh, I think it, it strikes home. I think it strikes a chord more so with the way Alabama went about this thing than maybe, again, some other approaches. Yeah, I agree. And, and Alex is a guy, I wish we had been able to talk to him more. He's not just a, an outspoken guy, but you can tell that he's very measured. And, um, you know, he has uh, strong beliefs and he's, he's a well-spoken individual. And I, I just thought that video uh, was really well done. And, and the thing about it is, I mean, we've seen um, – you know, players use their their platform and, and create change. We've seen it at Oklahoma State. We've seen it at Mississippi State. Um, you know, players all across the country are, are doing things. But but at Alabama, it's been kind of like a team effort. And they, they took a little bit of time. I know I've seen some responses like, well, it, it took long enough. But the, the video that they put out there, I just think was, was so powerful. And, and to hear them all kind of come together and read the same words, it was just a really effective showing. And um, – I know a lot of, or not a lot, but some people maybe didn't like it, but it's a message that they need to hear. And, um, you know, I, I think Alabama and, and the players deserve a lot of kudos and, and respect for it. Um, you know, it's something that maybe, you know, we haven't seen in the past. Of course, you know, I know Alabama, the university has uh, a history uh, with these kind of things, but, you know, to see that progress and that forward thinking is, is refreshing. And uh, I just, I can't say enough about the job that Alex Leatherwood and the players did to, to put that together. Yeah. And I want to make it clear, not that any approach to voicing displeasure against social injustice is a bad approach. They're just different. Yeah. And, and again, you know, with Nick Saban, anything that he oversees uh, it, it's going to be, you know, there's going to be strong consideration about how to go about it. There's going to be a plan. It's not going to be reactionary. It's not going to be impulsive. And so if you were sort of in that group of wondering when there was going to be more of a, uh, you know, a, a public sort of uh, approach from Alabama football, that, that, that's what you got. That's what you got late late last week it is daybreak on a monday right here on the built by bama online podcast if you haven't already 
We'd certainly appreciate it if you would subscribe to the podcast right there at the Built by Bama online podcast, Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, wherever you consume podcasts, you can do that. Leave us a rating and a review while you're there. That would be greatly appreciated as well. Now, Charlie, some other comments that Nick Saban had over the weekend involved his football team and sort of reiterating what we've talked about in the past and what he's touched on a little bit as well. And that involves the learning curve for new players, newcomers, and the impact that they might be able to make, especially early in the season. And with that, wanted to get your thoughts on a couple of positions where, you know, there are guys that maybe the, the necessity isn't quite there, that they jump in there uh, early on and, and, and make an impact. And, you know, when, where you think of, you know, some positions like wide receiver, running back, um, the defensive line, you accumulated a lot of experience there last year inside linebacker. You were able to do some of that as well. Um, I guess those would be the primary positions where maybe you weren't expecting maybe as many newcomers to jump into the mix right away. But still, I think that even with this sort of late start to things for so many of these guys, and we expected 13 of these guys to be on campus for spring practice, that, of course, did not come off. There are still going to be some positions, Charlie, where it's still hard to envision newcomers not being in the mix right away. Yeah, I think the positions that um, are in better shape are mostly on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, you look at what Alabama returns on the offensive line. You have you know, two future first-round wide receivers in Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle back. You have Najee Harris back, Brian Robinson. Uh, even Keelan Robinson got some action there. You look at the tight end position. Everybody's back there, and you had a grad transfer in Carl Tucker. Um, at the quarterback spot, I think that's the one that's probably most affected just because, you know, Mac Jones could have benefited going through a spring and getting those mental and physical reps. Bryce Young as well, you know, being a newcomer, those are the guys that are most affected. Um, you know, that, that spring as an early enrollee is very beneficial. I know we've seen young guys come in in the past in the summer and lock down starting jobs, but the quarterback position is, is different. And, um, I think that's a that's a big one. And the defensively, it, it's it's kind of the opposite, just because you're having to replace so much. I think the secondary is a group that, uh, when you look at positions that are going to have to rely on some young players, I think the whole secondary um, kind of fits in that group. I know you have Patrick Sertan, the second back at corner, Josh Job, uh, you know Jordan Battle played quite a bit last year, but he's going to be having to step into a, a bigger role. Uh, Daniel Wright's been in the program for a while at safety, but he hasn't been in really a lot of first-team situations, but guys like Marco Ellums, uh, maybe Jalen Armour Davis and Marcus Banks, they're, they're going to be called upon to to fill new roles. And even a guy like Ronald Williams, uh, the the junior college transfer, um, I know he's played um, big-time football before, but he's doing it for the first time in Alabama and in this system. So I think the secondary is a big one. You mentioned the defensive line. They had so many young guys play last year that they improved their depth there. So it's not necessarily as big as a, a position where they're going to have to call in some young guys. But at outside linebacker, I think that's going to be really big. I mean, that whole position group is really inexperienced. When uh, a guy like Chris Allen is is your most experienced player, and he's a guy that's coming off a, a year removed from a, missing the entire season with an ACL injury, um, you know, that that's a little bit worrisome just from an experience standpoint. Um, it helps, though, that in the inside you have a guy like Dylan Moses back, Josh McMillan is back, both the guys that started last season and Shane Lee and, and Christian Harris are back. But I think as you look at it, the offensive side of the ball has so many veterans back that I think it'll be 
uh, okay. But the defense, just from a, a pass rush and a secondary standpoint, that's where I think a lot of the young guys could uh, come in and, and have to play a role. But uh, it'll be interesting to see. I'm, I'm hoping that everything works out to where they are able to get on the field in early August when we get out there and see how things are looking. But um, they're going to have to have a, a lot of guys step up at a lot of places, that's for sure. Pass rushers and pass defenders, right? And that's yep. what you're talking about. You're talking about guys that can get after the quarterback with the losses of Terrell Lewis and Anthony Jennings. Obviously, that brings a Will Anderson into play to go along with a Chris Allen address Parks. King Wakuda, Ben Davis, Kevin Harris, the second. Those guys come back very little in the way of documented production from all those guys, however. So, again, Will Anderson, Chris Braswell, Q Robinson, uh, Drew Sanders, uh, even a couple of the, the inside linebackers that you might be able to use in some situational roles and, and past defenders, you know. Jordan Battle, I don't think, was an early enrollee last year. I don't mm-hmm. believe that was the case. But that didn't prohibit him from at least being a sixth defensive back very early on in his true freshman season. So perhaps that'll prove to be the case for a Brian Branch or a Malachi Moore or a Christian Story. And corners, typically, they can jump in early. If you can cover, you, know, you, you can play at corner. And so... You know, that could be the case there. Wide receiver, running back, those are some areas where guys are typically able to to be productive without getting much in the way of uh, you know, practice time at this level. But um, as you outlined, Alabama offensively in pretty good shape over there in terms of uh, proven starters and even some depth in a lot of, of those spots. We're going to step aside for a quick break. When we come back, we're really going to get your heart pumping on this Monday morning. We're going to talk Will Reichert and his well-documented kicking clip from over the weekend. That's right. We'll do that when Daybreak returns on the Built by Bama online podcast right after this. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Back with more of Daybreak on this Monday morning. Travis Ryer along with Charlie Potter talking Alabama athletics with you. And what about it, Charlie? Will Riker. The kick heard round the state for over the weekend. Will Reichard working with one of his uh, personal kicking trainers uh, with what looked to be, by my by my uh, estimation, something in the neighborhood of 62 or 63 yards, bangs one home. Uh, Alabama fans, unfortunately, and they have reason for this, I can't deny this, is as recent as the Auburn game last November, they immediately sort of downplay the kick as well. It's, you know, on a practice field. It's it's June. We'll see what happens in October. I get all that. But, Charlie, for me, the main takeaway was the guy looked healthy. And that, that wasn't the case for for much of his first season on campus and even going into his first offseason. Yeah, I mean, the, the big takeaway for me was the text, not the video, because the, the first sentence there is feels great to be back healthy. And, mm-hmm. 
you know, I, I remember just all throughout last season sitting in that press conference room and when you go through the, the injury updates and, and Will Reichert isn't mentioned, somebody in the room will, will bring him up and it's the same old, same old. You know, he's still uh, questionable, you know, not likely to play. And um, I believe the last update we got was before uh, the Iron Bowl. And obviously he's a guy that, you know, played and played a lot in a lot of different positions in the first four games of the season before, um, you know, injuring his hip. And then he played again in the Tennessee game and, and re-injured the same hip. Uh, but I think he showed – you know, a, a lot of promise and, and gave fans a little bit of hope. Uh, I know that they're, um, you know, jaded and and when they you bring up kickers, um, you know, it leaves a bad taste in their mouth. But you know, for for Reichard, he's a guy that he makes the field goals you're supposed to make. I know he missed three uh, of his seven attempts last year, but all three of those, I believe, were 37 yards or, or longer, with a couple of those being 48 or longer. And so everything inside of 35, he made. Um, and that's what you want from a, a field goal kicker, especially in a place like Alabama where you have a high-powered offense. Uh, but yeah, I, I understand the reservations, but I just think for him and, and what he's dealt with, seeing him say it feels great to be back healthy um, it should give people a lot of um, – or give them a sigh of relief. Um, you, you know, you, you, you the rest of it you, you worry about later, but just actually getting him back to, to full health and back on the field and kicking I think is a, is a good sign. Yeah, you want all the healthy, talented legs in that competition you can have available. Yep. And Will Reichard certainly qualifies from that perspective to go along with a veteran presence in Joseph Bulovis. Will be interesting, I guess, because of the injury as much as anything else, the punting situation. Yep. You're still going to have to address that, even if you feel like you're comfortable with your place-kicking chores, however that shakes out. Type Ryan returns. Scoured along is still around. Uh, how much do you want to put on Will Reichard after the injury? Uh, some moving pieces, I guess. There are a lot of a lot of pieces involved too, Charlie. Yeah, I'm I'm interested in that as well because we saw, like I said a, a minute ago, Reichard did everything uh, from a kicking perspective last year, and he was effective at kicking off. Uh, I think field goals is probably where you see him uh, at first. I think you can maybe leave uh, Boulevos. To, to kicking off for a bit if, if you wanted to put Riker there as well. Uh, that makes a lot of sense just because he was effective. But I think the punting perspective or the punting position, rather, uh, is where you see maybe someone else because, you know, Ty Pirine was kind of a fan favorite last year and, and had a pretty good season. Um, obviously, he's a guy that didn't play in the bowl game. We saw Mike Bernier close out his career down there in Orlando. And, um, yeah, I talked to Mike after the season. He basically just said he had a better – you know, a couple of weeks of practice, it wasn't anything uh, that, that Piran did. He was just the better of the two. And uh, now he's gone. And, um, you know, it'll be up to, to Piran and, and Scarlett DeLong and, and Will Reichard. And uh, I'd probably give the nod to Ty Piran just because he was pretty pretty consistent last year. I know everybody kind of looks back to the, the LSU game and shudders to, to think about that a little bit. But, um, you know, that, that happens with a lot of these kickers. So I think for, for Reichard, just his involvement, how much he does – um, you know, maybe in that first game, we'll be interested to see, and maybe if they crank that up as the season goes along. But I know they'll they'll probably dial it back a little bit, given what he dealt with with that hip. Uh, but they do have some other options there, so I guess that's good. Return Thomas Fletcher as your snapper, so you know you're good there. Interested to see what happens with the holder situation, because I think Alabama can improve there as well. I'm not a big fan of putting it all on the starting quarterback or the one of the quarterbacks because. You don't have the time and practice to work on that 
routine on that uh, operation like you need to. I understand you may not want to put a lesser athlete in that spot because you could get kick six like you did in 2013 when you had Cody Mandel holding. But you know, we've seen J.K. Scott hold the past, and perhaps that'll be a, a move that's part of this offseason as well. Speaking of private sort of training, Will Reichert working with James Wilhoy over the weekend, the former Tennessee standout kicker. What about Najee Harris and Brad Lester right here in Tuscaloosa over the weekend, Charlie? Yeah, that was a, an interesting one, just given the, the whole Iron Bowl matchup between the two. And uh, I actually talked to Brad on the phone. Um, yeah, he's a really good guy and um, had a lot of good things to say about Najee. And, um, yeah, I'll have a story up later this morning uh, about that. Uh, depending on when you listen to the podcast, it might be on the site already. But, um, yeah, it, it was just interesting to hear how this whole thing came about. I'll tease it a little bit just because uh, most of the time these guys hook up on social media and they eventually did that. But the way they kind of met and um, this whole thing, I guess the seeds were planted was after the Iron Bowl. And, um, you know, as, as someone that was there and trying to get to the postgame press conference, that was that was a task just because the Auburn fans, of course, stormed the field and. You know, Lester actually caught, um, you know, Najee or saw him walking off the field with his head down and ran over to him and told him to, you know, hold his head high and uh, that he's a great running back and he likes to watch him uh, play. And uh, that that kind of blossomed this relationship. And they were able to work in Tuscaloosa uh, this past weekend. I think they're going to work together in the future, too. And, uh, you know, it's, it's good to see, you know, players from from both sides of the rivalry come together and and work together and have a, a mutual respect. And, um, you know, anytime you get to work with a guy that's been through the league, I think that's beneficial for a player. And I know with Najee, he's working on his pad level and keeping it down. And, um, you know, some other aspects that'll be in the story uh, that's on the side a little bit later. But uh, that was that was pretty cool to see. I mean, you see all these guys work with different coaches. And a lot of the times you have to look up who they are. But to see him, you know, work with a former SEC back was pretty cool. Yeah, a lot of talk in this offseason, understandably so. Najee trying to work on maybe more explosive runs. Although, when you talk about runs of 10 yards or more, Najee Harris led the SEC in terms of running backs in, in runs of 10 yards or more. He hasn't had many of 30-plus in his career over the previous three years. Really amazing that Najee Harris has a career yards per carry average of 6.1 per tote. And he's yet to have a run longer of 35 yards in his Alabama career. That just tells you, though, you know, in that 10 to 15, 18 yard range, what he's able to do. It's interesting, though, because Brad Lester really wasn't that kind of back either at Auburn. He was kind of that hard running between the tackles sort of guy. Um, but uh, Najee, obviously, between his abilities as a runner and a receiver, uh, in line for, for what could be a huge year, especially with a very experienced offensive line coming back. Now, Charlie, as we get out of here on this Monday morning, I know you spent last week taking an early look at the Georgia Bulldogs. That matchup set to take place here in Tuscaloosa to open SEC play for the 2020 season. Uh, you asked the uh, BOL staff for the predictions. You gave your own as well. You know, my initial thought was and continues to be going to be a line of scrimmage game. I know in your work and some of the work I've done on the conference level in the offseason, uh, pretty easy to see. Georgia brings back a lot. Georgia very talented in that front seven. I think Alabama is going to prove to be much improved. 
uh, as well in that area. Uh, but uh, I, I kind of see this game coming down to playmakers on the offensive side of the ball, and that's where I sort of sided with Alabama a little bit more than Georgia. What's your sort of early outlook for that game here in Tuscaloosa in September? I agree with that. I mean, you look at it, and, and Georgia returns eight starters on defense. They should have what should be Al- the, the toughest defense Alabama faces um, you know, this season. And offensively, they have to replace nearly everybody. I mean, they only returned three starters. I, I don't think that um, – I don't think that includes – the receiver and his name just completely left my mind. George Pickens. Uh, yeah, George Pickens. Um, yeah. I was I, in my head. I was just going Hoover, Hoover, Hoover. But um, he, I don't think he's actually technically a returning starter. But he's he's just like Jalen Waddle. I mean, he was their returning receiver last or their leading receiver last year, and he'll be back as a sophomore. So um, they they don't have just a lot of experience on offense and. And that worries you a little bit in a game that if you think Alabama's defense is going to improve, and if it does, that you're going to have to, you know, points are going to be hard to come by. I just, with what Alabama has on the offensive side of the ball, you, you lean more towards that um, direction. I mean, for me, I mean, it's it's the middle of June. You know, we were making predictions just based off of, you know, what we know right now, which is not a lot given no spring practice. And, I, I I had the score thirty one twenty one I believe and um, yeah I think it could be maybe lower scoring than that just given the defense that Georgia has and you know if Alabama rounds into form with guys like Dylan Moses back if its secondary can you know take shape and um, you know they're going to be tossing the fire early given the the USC game in week one and then two weeks later with Georgia but um, I just think Alabama has you know too much firepower on offense that they're going to be able to score more than Georgia. It'll be interesting. The the build up to that game I'm sure is going to be uh, intense and insane. Um, you know Scott Cocker is going to be coming back to to Tuscaloosa, but it's all going to matter about you know what happens on the field. And I just think Alabama has too much on offense for Georgia. Yeah, George Pickens. Uh, we both like George Pickens a lot. I think he was a Sugar Bowl MVP to cap his true freshman season for the Bulldogs. But Georgia lost a really promising young playmaker in that SEC championship game, lost to LSU and Dominic Blaylock to an ACL injury. So we'll see where he's at in his return. So, again, it kind of goes back to playmakers on the offensive side, fully understanding really every level of that Georgia defense. It's hard not to be impressed. you got a corner safety combo and Richard LeCount, Eric Stokes, going to be very good. Tyson Campbell gets a lot of the – Hype back there uh, at the corner position, the former high school teammate of Patrick Sertan II. But Stokes is, in my opinion, clearly Georgia's top corner. Uh, Schedule-wise, it's a huge game, especially for Georgia, because you look at Georgia over there in the east and trying to fend off Florida once again in 2020. Georgia gets Alabama on the road in Tuscaloosa and then gets Auburn in Athens Uh, Florida gets LSU at home and Ole Miss on the road. So a distinct advantage, you would think, for the Gators uh, in the race for that SEC Eastern Division championship. And if you're Florida, you might be looking at a situation where even if you lose to Georgia head up because of the difficulty of the Dogs' Western Division opponents and what they present, uh, Florida might be able to get to Atlanta even with a loss to Georgia. So we'll see how that plays out as well. Charlie, I think we hit on it. Welcome back to the pod, my man. It's good to be back. I've ventured out the last two weekends. I probably won't do it much more just because 
Uh, it's crazy out there. I yeah. went to. I was actually in Georgia. It's funny that we mentioned this. Um, you know, this past weekend, my niece actually had her graduation party. Uh, you had to push it back. She she graduated from high school from in Augusta, and a bunch of Bulldogs fans there, and they were uh, all asking me if I thought the season was going to happen and when I thought of the matchup. So I've heard a lot about Georgia uh, the last <laughs> few days, and it, it's funny it all kind of culminated together like that with with this past week and uh, with doing that and now talking about it on the podcast. But yeah, it's good to be back. Georgia definitely on the mind of Charlie Potter. And by the way, he's going to have that story again. If you're just now catching the pot, it may already be up on this Monday. Uh, an update on Najee Harris via Brad Lester, who spent the weekend working with Najee in Tuscaloosa. Brad Lester, of course, the former Auburn running back. So you're going to want to check us out at BamaOnline.com for Charlie's update there. And sounds like there could be some more recruiting news for the Alabama football team this week. So never a better time than to make the move if you haven't already. Go ahead and jump on board. We've extended that half-off premium annual subscription to BamaOnline.com. Go ahead and do it right now. You'll be glad you did. And also, while you're at it, maybe a subscription for the Built by Bama Online podcast as well. Charlie Potter always does a great job with us here on the pod and at BOL. I'm Travis Ryder. Thanking you once again for joining us. Have a great rest of your Monday, everybody. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.